Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you. Another Friday evening where we are set to continue our exploration into how we are called to live out our faith in the world. And uh, before we jump into tonight's subject matter on this topic of musing over the Catholic faith, I did just want to continue to welcome all of you who are tuning in by way of podcast and really Wherever you might be listening to this radio program, uh, this podcast, uh, I just want to let you know that it is a joy you you are taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to me uh, ponder <laughs> the relationship between our faith and the world. So that being said, here we are in our third week together on this new night, again, that I have tagged as Catholic Musings, an evening that I will take something that struck me from the past week or recent history, and bring it to the air. So musing on its deeper meaning and its relevance to our faith, the the deeper meaning of what we encounter each and every day and its relevance to our faith. Now, as I do that, I know that I will receive questions. And true to form, in our first week together, I was ruminating on the importance of what we say and how we say it, that the words we use should always have purpose and intention. They should never be idle of meaning. And as I did, you posited the question to me, uh, Joe, for all your discussion on words, can you briefly muse, quote-unquote, over the word Catholic and its implication? Okay, good question. Now, (laughs) this question is packed, and if I'm going to get into my principal subject matter for tonight, I will have to be somewhat brief. But... There are some very important points to be had with your question. Uh, We have a word that comes from the Greek kataholike. Kata uh, means according to, and holos in the Greek simply means the whole. So kataholike means according to the whole, or more colloquially, if you will, universal. Uh, At the beginning of the second century, we find in the letters of Ignatius, the first surviving use of the term Catholic in reference to the Church. At that time, it was used to refer to a single, visible communion separate from others. As it relates to that letter from Ignatius of Antioch, I do have that letter pulled up, and this is what he says. Let no one do anything of concern to the Church without the bishop. Let that be considered a valid Eucharist which is celebrated by the bishop or by one whom he ordains. Wherever the bishop appears, let the people be there just as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. Hmm. We have from uh, the extraordinary witness of the martyrdom of Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, and of the elect he was one indeed, the wonderful martyr Polycarp, who in our days was an apostolic and prophetic teacher Bishop of the Catholic Church in Smyrna. For every word which came forth from his mouth was fulfilled and will be fulfilled. 
So here, my friends, these bishops are speaking to the key mark of the church as Catholic in its witness. That is universal in its witness. Now, I suppose another part of this question ought to have us going directly to sacred scripture, right? And not only directly to sacred scripture, but the wider meaning of how we understand the Old and New Testament, which could also be said the Old and New Covenant. Let us go back to the beginning when God established his first marital covenant between Adam and Eve. Two were involved. When was the next major covenant but with Noah, with the great sign of the rainbow? How many were involved but a household? Noah, his wife, his three children, and their three wives. So eight were involved. When was the next a great covenant in the book of Genesis? But with Abraham. huh? What kind of covenant was that? But it was tribal. So we have a marital covenant expanded to a household covenant which expands into a tribal covenant. When is the next major covenant? On Thursdays right now, we have started a study on the book of Exodus. And there we are going to explore in great detail this covenant that God establishes with his chosen people, right? The Israelite people, the Hebrew people. And what kind of covenant is this but a national covenant? So already by the book of Exodus, you have four major covenants And when you look at these covenants for what they are, they are expanding from what is marital to what emerges as a household to ultimately become a tribe and then a nation. Well, when is the next major covenant? But the great covenant with David. And the great sign of this covenant is, well, the crown. David was a king. And what did God say to David in that great covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 10 and following? But from your line, David, I will establish my dynasty forever, my covenant forever. And so here we see, once again, God's covenant with his chosen people expand, going from a nation to a kingdom. And yeah, that's an expansion because kingdoms rule nations. And how do you get bigger? Well, there's only one way to get bigger, and that's to become universal. So when Jesus says in the upper room, this is the blood of the New Testament, this is the blood of the New Covenant, what is he saying? That the blood I pour out on the cross is what? But the New Covenant. The Universal Covenant. And this is why we look to the blood and water that spills from the side of Christ as the signs of the new covenant, which of course are signified in the sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist. You ask me, how are we to best understand what the word Catholic means? Well, beyond looking at the letters of St. Ignatius of Antioch, and the witness to the martyrdom of St. Polycarp. Just look at the word covenant, and what you'll find, well, is quintessential to the Christian revelation, that indeed Christ came to establish the Catholic covenant with its signs of baptism and the Eucharist. Okay, so hopefully that helps you understand uh, what we are after when we use that word Catholic.
All right, <laughs> let us turn our attention to what hit me this past week. And once again, this is going to have us talking about a movie, and this is not by my intention in as much as it is just what comes to the surface of my reflections. So our pondering for this evening is in principle on grace. Last week, we focused on sin. Uh, this week, grace. And I would like to share with you a story. And so, excuse me if I wax nostalgic just a little bit here this evening. I still remember the opening tune to the popular Saturday morning show, Land of the Lost. My favorite subject matter in grade school was uh, the dinosaur age, uh, the, the Jurassic age. I would often pass time as a kid playing with my little dinosaur figurines. We had a pond in our backyard with tadpoles, and I I used to have these inanimate dinosaurs battle the live tadpoles in a game of surrender, you know, and for me, the dinosaurs would usually win. This is, uh, you know, Dr. Holcraft's little world when I was, <laughs> you know, seven, eight, nine years old. So you can imagine my excitement when, as a junior in high school, I saw the trailer for a movie that would bring the extinct creatures that preoccupied my childhood back to life. Of course, here I'm talking about Jurassic Park. So after my initial excitement of seeing dinosaurs on the big screen waned, I had a lingering question in my mind. How would they bring the dinosaurs to life? And this was before I went to actually see the movie. And to the movie, well, it wasted no time in answering that question. Mosquitoes bit dinosaurs, then flew and landed on sap trees. The tree sap encased the mosquitoes and the dinosaur blood within them, right? Archaeologists found the fossilized mosquitoes, extracted the dinosaur DNA, mixed it with frog DNA to fill in the genetic gaps, and as the the movie uh, says, bingo, what you have is dino DNA. Now, after watching the movie a handful of times, I found myself almost as fascinated with sap as I was with dinosaurs. I even recall going to a library and reading up on SAP before research was so immediate on the internet. Later in college, the the image of SAP again grabbed my attention. One of my Dominican professors by the name of uh, Father Giles Dimmick (laughs) correlated SAP with grace. And I'll never forget what he said. The gifts we receive at baptism are like SAP. Grace itself, he continued, contains within it this idea of a sticky-like substance. Grace has as its root res, huh? In other words, what this Dominican professor of mine was saying is that, you know, grace unmerited, of course, sticks to our soul. So this Dominican professor offered up for me a palpable image to better understand grace. I left the classroom that day mindful of another truth as it relates to sap and grace. Sap contains within it nutrients, water, even hormones. Sap then carries within it, my friends, life-giving properties and the identity of its source, the tree, right? Could we not say even more so 
that grace carries within its substance life-giving properties and the identity of its source, God's love. In grace, we could say we receive God's spiritual DNA. Now, this life-giving substance protrudes from God in the life of the church in two forms. And again, the church develops here the wisdom of St. Paul. First, sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace is a gift from God that truly makes us holy like God. We truly share in his very life. This is the grace we receive at baptism, the grace that incorporates us into the very mystical body of Christ. And then there's actual grace. This grace that helps us to become like God in specific circumstances in our life. As all grace, it is the free and undeserved help that God gives you and I to respond fully to his call. To become the person we are called to be. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to draw from the nutrients of grace and the life of constant prayer that we might bear its fruit. Joy. The word for joy, the Greek word for joy, kara, is derived from the same Greek root that belongs to grace, charis. You see, Joy is the fragrance of God's very substance of grace. If one were to tease this out further, we see that the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek entheos. That bears a God within, is what that Greek translates. If you are enthusiastic about God, you are a God-bearer. So enthusiastic joy is not some self-created happiness, but the sweet fragrance of God bursting forth. And so it is. We are to submerge ourselves in God's grace like in sap, allowing it to nourish us and give us life, bring us joy, and affect all that we touch in our journey of faith. Amen. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.